Well, good morning. There it is. Uh, praise God. I love being here. You know that? And I love you guys, and you're always so, so uh, welcoming to me, and I, I appreciate that. You know, last week, we were in Luke chapter 15, and uh, we talked about two of the parables that Jesus taught. Now, there's a third parable, and I didn't refer to it, but I want to today. I, I really felt the Lord leading me to um, have a message today on that third parable. It's the story of the prodigal son, probably the most uh, famous story uh, ever written. In fact, many great writers in the world have said that it's the greatest story ever written. Uh, it's a story of grace. It's a story of forgiveness. One thing you will never hear from your heavenly father. If you walk out on me, you can never come back. Earthly fathers have said that to their children. But the heavenly father never will say that. We have a loving heavenly father. And he loves us so much, you are free, get this, you are free to walk out of fellowship with him. And he won't stop you. He will, in fact, run to meet you when you decide to return to him. And not only will he run to meet you, he will meet you better than halfway. Because he'll see you coming. And when we repent... He treats us as if we've never left. It's an amazing story of grace and forgiveness. As we saw last week, God is passionate about you. He will never give up on you. And he continually rejoices over you. Now, as Jesus moves into this third parable, he tells us more about the Father's love. And his grace. You know this, we always call this the story of the prodigal son, but the key figure in this story is the father. Jesus is teaching us that the God of the universe is exactly like the father in this story. He's, he's talking to these Pharisees. We read about them in the first two verses last week who uh, were indignant that Jesus would sit and eat with sinners and tax collectors and the like he is turning them on their heads about their idea of who god is and what god is like in this parable the first thing we're going to learn is that god is grieved by our rebellion it grieves the heart of god it, it breaks god's heart when we go away let me read just the first few verses of this parable, beginning in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Now many days, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. I don't know about you, but I hear in that beginning of this story a slap 
to the face. The son deserved the slap in the face, but that's not where I, I hear it. The younger son demanded to receive his inheritance. When do you get an inheritance? Anybody? Anybody know? When the parents die. This son comes to his father and he says to his dad, Dad, I know that one of these days you're going to die and I'm going to get my inheritance. I can't wait for that. I wish you were dead now. Give me my part. Think about having a child come to you and saying something like that to you. It's a slap in the face. Most hurtful thing you could say to a loving father, give me what's mine. I don't want to wait for you to have to die. And listen, he wasn't, he wasn't the kind of son that was saying, Dad, give me my inheritance now so that I can show you what I can do. I'm going to do some things for this farm that is going to increase our yield, going to help us out. No, that's, that's not where the son's coming from. The Bible says that as soon as he got it, not long after, a few days, he left. He wanted out of his father's house. He wanted away from his father's rules. He wanted to be on his own. He wanted to be his own man. And I think that this father would have been wounded by this harsh demand. And the remarkable thing is the father granted it. He didn't have to. In fact, he would have had the law behind him to tell his son no. In fact, he could have had his son whipped. He could have had his son stoned to death. And then within a couple of days, the son takes the money and runs. Here's another slap to the face. The son takes that inheritance and he goes to a far country. I don't know what that would be like to you, kind of like New York or L.A., you know, somewhere bad. Unless you're from L.A. and New York, and it's a great place. I just thought about it. Oh, I just said to some people, well, don't you think this father has been hurt? And, and the tears... The, the sorrow, I, I think that every day that father would rise up, come down to breakfast, that son's not there, it's another reminder. But this story teaches us something about God. God is a loving heavenly father, and he will let you walk away from fellowship. He will let you walk into sin. He'll let you do what you desire, but it breaks his heart. When you do, I think it's obvious the younger son represents those of us who have a relationship with God. He is our heavenly father. We are his child. And there's a very important principle that you have to understand because it is possible to break your fellowship with God, but you'll never break your relationship with God. He said, all that come to him, he gives power to become the sons of God. I have six children. We have six children. 
no matter what they do, they can run off. They can be put in jail. They can do terrible things. I might even say to them, you're not my son anymore. But guess what? The truth of the matter is, yes, they are. Nothing can ever change the fact that those six children are my children. Nothing can change the fact that God is your heavenly father, that you are a son, you are a daughter of God. And the whole time this prodigal son was away, he was still a son. But he had left the presence and the favor of his father. And Christian, we can do that with God. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. So if you're bound and determined to do something foolish, to walk out into sin, God won't stop you. And that's how a lot of Christians have gotten into the bad place, the mess that they're in right now. Some act of disobedience, some act of disloyalty. And you say, well, I, I don't think that's true about God. Okay, let's talk about Adam and Eve. They're sitting in the garden. God knows everything. God sees everything. And they go and they grab that fruit. God could have run into that garden and said, stop now. What did I tell you? He doesn't. David was up on the rooftop one day and he looks over. God could have grabbed his heart and he said, stop. Don't do that. It doesn't matter. God didn't stop Adam and Eve. God did not stop David from falling into sin with Bathsheba. And it's the same reason that the father in this parable didn't stop the son. It's not in the nature of God. God's not going to make you love him. God's not going to make you obey him because that's not reciprocal love. He wants you to do it because you see what he has done for you. And you say, what, can I, what else can I do? but show God love. God loves you so much he allows you to make your own choices, even though he knows the consequences will be bad. And just like the father is grieved because his son walked out, God the father grieves over his children when they walk out of fellowship. The first time we hear about the grief of God is in Genesis chapter 6 when he talks about how, how man had become so sinful and then he got the plan to flood the earth. And it, the Bible says it grieved the heart of God to see the sinfulness of man. The greater the capacity one has for love, the greater the capacity will be for hurt. And God's love is stronger than any human love. And that means his pain is greater too. So we learn in this story that it grieves the heart of God when we sin. But secondly, and the good news of today is that God is ready to greet you whenever you return. God is ready to welcome you back when you return. Pick up at verse 14. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country. He began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, 
he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The wayward son didn't fare so well in that far country, did he? He uh, spent everything. One third of this massive farm that his father owned, he, he took it and he wasted. That, that word in the Greek means that he just threw it all away. Threw it all away. No one ever fares well living in sin. You, you can write that down. That, that's the absolute true statement. Here this kid lived high on the hog and then he ended up living with the hog, right? Jesus uses six words in verse 13 to describe what happened. He squandered his property in reckless living. Just threw it away. There's, there's a lot that can be read into that reckless living. We know what the elder brother says later, but it, it's like he, here, here's this young man with a pocket full of money, and he heads to the big city. He heads to the casinos, the, the fancy hotels, the restaurants, the bars, and he, he wastes all his money. Before he could turn around, it was all gone. He ends up in a pig pen slopping pigs. Jesus said he came to his senses and he realized a servant in his father's house had it better than he does. Now he came to his senses. I, I told you the riddle, right? If, if uh, three frogs were sitting on a branch and one decides to jump off, how many are left on the branch? Three? Yeah, just because you decide to do it doesn't mean you will. <laughs> This man decided he was going to go back. And he, he's now reached a point of total desperation. So he acts on this coming to his senses. He swallows something that was more tasteful, taste, that was less tasteful than, than the slop. He swallowed his pride and he started a long journey home. And when he gets home, how's the father going to receive him? Now, before I get to that, think about who Jesus is talking to just for a minute. He's talking to these Pharisees who are, who are mad as anything about what Jesus is doing, sitting with sinners. And, and when he talks about this wayward son, he's talking about those that, are, that he's eating dinner with that day. These sinners are the ones who slap the father in the face. They have left the way and they have become what they are. But Jesus has said, I'm here because the father loves them. And those Pharisees couldn't understand that. They, they, they think God has one emotion, anger, vengefulness, you know, that kind of thing. So his audience of Pharisees, they expect him in this story to get to this point of the father coming to his son and the father sees him afar off and he gets into the doorway of the house and he stands there with his arms crossed. And he waits for that son to come right to his feet. 
and the son will drop and beg his daddy, please let me come home, let me be your servant. And the father says, forget it. You've made, you've made your bed, you lie in it. You smell like a pig, go back and live with the pigs. See, the way they looked at it, he was getting exactly what he deserved. It was a story that the Pharisees had told over and again, not the exact story, of course, but they always told stories to, to prove a point. They understood that a son who acted that way deserved death. That's what was prescribed by the law. That's the way the Pharisees expected the father to treat his son. That was the normal ending of the story. But Jesus has a surprise twist. The father who is heartbroken because his son has left every day, he would go to the rooftop of that house probably the place where he prayed, morning, afternoon, evening. And as he prayed, he'd look down that road. He'd be looking for his son. Every day wondering where his son might be, what his son might be doing. Every morning, afternoon, praying for his son. He was looking, he was longing, he was hoping that his son would return. And then one afternoon, as he gets up on that rooftop, he sees somebody way down, way down the road, way down the road, right down where before the village even begins. And there's something familiar about this figure. It looks like my son. And this father does something incredible. The father comes down and he runs down that dirty, dusty road to run. He has to lift up his, his garment, and that's wrong. Men did not do that in that time period. They still don't do it today in many Arabic countries. To show your legs was a disgrace. The father holds up his, his garments and he runs toward his son. You know what he's doing? Think about this. The father represents heavenly father, right? The father comes down to this dirty, dusty world. And he takes on our shame. He takes on our sin. This father was transferring the shame of his son to himself. Tell him the village, don't look at my son, look at me. Don't look at his sin, I take that upon myself. And the father runs, he sprints down this road, and in verse 20 he says, while he was away off, the father saw him, he's filled with compassion, he runs to his son, and he falls upon his son. And he kisses him. You know, in the Greek, it means he kissed him over and over and over. Have you ever been to a pig farm? Now, I don't mean just a pig sty where it's a couple of pigs are, where they have like 100, 200, 300. It stinks. Not only does it stink, it gets in your clothes, and that stink sticks to your clothes. I pastored a church in Wallonia, and we had one of our members who owned one of the big pig farms. And I visited him one day before Wednesday night service, and 
I came to church right after I visited him, and everybody looked at me and said, you've been to Ken's house, haven't you? <laughs> this father hugs this stinking son, kisses him all over because he passionately loves him. Oh, sin is going to make you stink. But I'll tell you what. God will always welcome you back. I don't know. It took a, a lot for that dad. I think that dad might have stopped about three feet and said, oh, son, I'm glad you're back. Why don't we go home and get cleaned up a little bit? No. He falls on him. He kisses him. The father says, I'll accept you just as you are. Beloved, when you start home, God is saying, I'll run to meet you. God the Father, the creator of the universe. We don't see him that way. We see him as high and lifted up, right? He is, he is. He's high and lifted up. He, he's, he's worthy of all praise. The angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You don't see God running to you, do you? Kissing you, hugging you. But that's exactly what Jesus wants you to understand. That's what he wants you to see. God loves us passionately. He is a loving heavenly father who is longing for a relationship with you. He's looking for you to return to him. Wayward, backslidden children of God, he has a message for you today. With tender words of compassion, he's saying, when you start home, I'll meet you more than halfway. I love that song we sing so often. If you'll just take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all of your darkness will end and within your heart he'll abide. That's what God's really like. Some people see him as a mean ogre sitting on a mysterious throne watching you, just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can say, I gotcha. But Jesus is giving us this wonderful description of God. He's a loving, compassionate God who deeply cares about you. We read that the Father ran. God is grieved by our rebellion. He is ready to greet us when we return. And finally this morning, I want you to see that God is ready to restore you when you repent. He is ready to not only receive you, but to restore you. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son, period. You see the period there. There was something else that he wanted to say. Just make me your servant. Father doesn't let him say that. 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. When the son finally came to his senses in that pig pen, he rehearsed this speech that he was going to give to his father 
And he had three things that he wanted to say to his dad. He said, I I have sinned against God. That's true. Whenever we sin, it's against God. He said, I've sinned against you. You know, that's another area we need to work on. When we sin against somebody else, we need to go to them and apologize. So the son was right about that. But in the in the pig pen, he said a third thing. He says, I'll, I'll just be a servant to my dad. Dad wasn't going to have that. He didn't even let that get out of his mouth. The first two statements were right. The third statement was wrong. You are, the father says, worthy to be my son. The father didn't even entertain the idea of his son becoming a servant because his son never was never his son. Did that make sense? Yeah. The father never gave the son a chance to ask to be a servant. See, when the son was in the far country, the relationship was intact. It was a fellowship that was broken. By coming, as soon as he saw him coming down the road, forgiveness had already been. The embrace was him saying, everything is forgiven. The fellowship is restored. The mistake was to think that the Father could ever love us less. Immediately, the Father commanded the servant to bring the best robe. This was something very special in the Jewish family. It was reserved probably for the elder son's wedding, but put, put, put it on my son who stinks like pig, put it on him. Let's cover his sin. Do you know that's what God has done for us? He covers our sin. The effectual covering of the blood of Christ. So that when Jesus sees us, we're clothed in his righteousness. Cover the filth, cover the dirt of his mistake. It's a lovely picture of how God covers us. In the same way, the father shows restoration by saying, put a ring on his finger. That was sonship. Shoes on your feet. The people who would enter into the father's house, uh, the servants even would wear shoes. To have access to the father's house, you wore shoes. Put shoes on his feet. The father restored everything the son had lost. And the bonus Kill the fatted calf. You know the one, the one that I have been waiting for for this day. We're going to have a Kentucky barbecue, buddy. They, they say that, that a fatted calf would feed two to 300 people. This man was a man of influence. He, he had a celebration for everyone, servants, everyone would come. Everything that the son left the house looking for, he found back at the father's house. He found the father's love. Even though he was a wayward son, his love never changed. The son came back a changed man. And he would forever carry the scars and the regrets of what he had done, but he would always remember the father's love. And my friend, if you need forgiveness, Jesus offers that to you today. We've seen a wonderful picture of what God is like. Yes, he is a God who is grieved by our rebellion, by our sin, but he's always ready to greet you when you return. And he will 
restore you completely. So what's keeping you from returning today? Be like the prodigal. Come to your senses. Don't be like the frog and just decide to jump off. (laughs) Jump off. Come today. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Find in him the forgiveness and the restoration that you need. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And what we do is we'll ask you to come. Maybe you are a wayward Christian. You've been living for yourself, not living for the Lord as you know that you should. The invitation is for you to come. Maybe come to this altar. As soon as you start that step, I want you to know the Father will be upon you. He'll fall upon you. He will forgive you. He will love you. He will restore you. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a home church. You'd like to make First Baptist your church. We welcome you. We just ask that you would come forward. I'll be here to meet you after we pray. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we, we just see you in a wonderful light this morning. You are a God of love and compassion, a God of mercy, a God of grace. Your loving kindness is, is overwhelming. And I pray today that we all would take that picture of you, take it with us all through the week, all through the rest of our lives, that you run to us. You have taken our shame, our sin upon yourself. You have nailed it to the cross. It's to be remembered no more. We thank you that we can walk and be called a child of God. God, I pray for that one person that might be here today that needs to run to this altar and know that you have already run to greet them. I pray for that soul here today that may be lost. They don't know you as Savior. Today be the day of their salvation. And for your church, oh God, just let us reflect on your mighty love. And we do pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we stand together and as we sing, you come on this first stanza.